Please be seated. I don't want you to be distracted this morning. I'm not trying to make a statement. I've received so many comments this morning about my clothes. I don't normally receive statements about my clothes. I am not trying to make a statement. I have, I'm not even a Yankee, okay? I'm from out of, I didn't grow up in the United States. So I have no clue that teams have colors. And so, supposedly this is UVA. <laughs> so, whatever. So, all right. Um, I want you to take a trip down memory lane with me this morning and just think about, um, remember when you were in Sunday school and some of the story, I know for some of us it's a little bit of a stretch because it's a long time ago, but just remember, try to remember your Sunday school classes and remember some of the stories you heard in Sunday school. Probably it was David, uh, Daniel and the lions then, it was David and Goliath, the stories of Jesus. And I can almost guarantee you that one, or actually two stories, it's two for one in many ways, the stories we look at this morning, you heard in Sunday school way back. You are familiar with these stories. It's Jesus raising um, the daughter of Jairus, or Jairus, I'm not sure how to say his name exactly, back to life, and it's the story of the woman, almost like an intermission set in, uh, whom Jesus held, uh, uh, healed from her bleeding. So these are the stories we'll look at together this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, would you please open them to Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. I'm just going to read verse 40 and, and just take a break there for a little bit before we continue with the stories. Luke chapter 8, verse 40, it says, And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him. For they all had been waiting for him. What a beautiful statement. So we need to connect the stories here. So in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, Jesus tells the disciples, let's go across the lake uh, into the area of the Gerasenes. This is a different nation. These are not Israelites. They're not Jews. So Jesus goes to the pagans. Among the way, as they're on the lake, a storm happens. Uh, Jesus calms the storms. The disciples just wonder, who is this guy? Who is this man? And they go across the lake, they step out on the land. As soon as Jesus steps out on the land, two demoniacs come up to Jesus. He heals them both. He casts out demons. One of them, Mark and Luke focus in on, is, is the guy with the legion of demons, so thousands of, of them, a real stronghold in their lives. Jesus casts them out. He's healed. The nation sees it. The people come, observe it. And they are not Jewish. They don't know about the Messiah. They don't have scripture as such. And so they are scared because in their religious background, with their gods and everything, they don't know what to do with Jesus. And so they are scared of him and they basically ask him, please leave. We don't know who you are. We don't, please leave. And so Jesus then gets into the boat, heads back across the lake. And so now the story picks up. So as they come across the lake again, they come back into Galilee and there's people waiting for him. I mean, think within a couple days, on the one hand, Jesus was rejected by a whole nation, by the Gerasenes. And then he goes across the lake, and there's people welcoming him, actually having waited for him. I don't know, maybe they're waiting since Jesus left with the boat a few days ago. They were just waiting for him to come back, scanning the horizon for the boat that Jesus was in to come back. Now he's back, and they're welcoming him. That's really what we can do with Jesus. We can either reject him 
as the Gerasenes did, or we can welcome him. Welcoming Jesus for us today, because we cannot really welcome him as a physically, but we can do is that he left us his spirit and he left us his word. And in the early church, we see Acts chapter 2, um, it's the same word that they welcomed his word. They welcomed the preaching. They welcomed the gospel and were baptized. They believed and were baptized in the early church. So we, what we can do, we can welcome the message of the gospel and believe based on the proclamation of who he is. But the beautiful thing really is that people were waiting for him. And sometimes waiting for God can take Time. This is not the kind of waiting that you have sometimes when you're in a car stuck in traffic and you get frustrated. That's not that kind of waiting. It's an expectant waiting. It's the waiting that, um, remember the story in Acts chapter 3 when the, uh, um, the man, I think he was a um, paralytic, sitting on the steps. Then Peter and John walk up to him and they make eye contact. And he expects, he's expecting, he's waiting to receive something. That's the kind of expectation that we have to receive something. Peter tells us that we should look for the day of the Lord. Three times, 2 Peter chapter 3, three times, look for the day of the Lord, wait for the day of the Lord. That's our expectation. We're awaiting people in many ways. We wait for Jesus. They waited for Jesus there at the lake show. We wait for Jesus to come back. May our hearts be in this spirit like these people had of waiting for him. Waiting sometimes can be difficult until Jesus shows up because God shows up in his own time. He doesn't show up when we want him to sometimes, you know. Sometimes we think he should move, but God moves when he's ready. Galatians 4 verse 4 tells us that um, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. I mean, God could have sent his son right at the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, right then he could have sent his son as the Redeemer, but he waited until the time has fully come because in his timing, and sometimes waiting for God to move, waiting for God to step into our lives can be hard. But never give up hope. Never give up that expectation. Um, Laura Story sings a song called Blessings, and one of, the, um, one, of, one of the lines says, What if a thousand sleepless nights is what it takes to know you're near. What if it takes a thousand sleepless nights for us seeking God, waiting on God for us to know you're near? I just spoke to me this kind of waiting, this expectant waiting for, for God to come up. Never lose, never lose that hope. Never lose that attitude to really wait on God like these people were waiting for Jesus to come back. So here he is. He's coming back. And... Um, a man by the name of Jairus comes up, asks Jesus to come with him, uh, to, to heal him. And both of these are faith stories. Both of these um, tell us the story of, of faith. Uh, it, it's the story of Jairus, Jairus and his family, whose, whose, whose daughter was dying, then she died. And then God, Jesus, tells him, do not be afraid. And it's the story of the woman whom Jesus says, you've been healed. So let's read. Luke chapter 8, verses 40, 41 on. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years 
and could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately the, her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware the power had gone out, from, out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him, except Peter and John and James, and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, Stop weeping, for, for she has not died, she, but she is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for her for, for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them not to tell anyone what had happened. Stories of faith. The woman who was healed from her bleeding, and Jesus tells her daughter, your faith has made you well. Literally, the word means you've been saved. You are saved. And he looks at Cyrus and says, do not fear. Do not be afraid any longer. Just have faith. These are stories of faith. And just want to ask this question. What is so amazing about faith? What is so amazing about faith? I was trying to find a picture to go with this online and you can't, I couldn't find anything really that expressed this. What's so amazing about faith? Because actually, Nothing. Nothing is amazing. We are a people of faith. All people have faith. Everybody has faith. Now, if you look about, you, if you type it in, you find like, what's so amazing about grace? You know, Philip Yancey's book and stuff. But faith, faith really is so normal. It's so common to us. Let me explain to you by telling you a story. There was a pastor, and this story happened a, a while back. It's a pastor who was visiting a man uh, who had suffered had a lot of hardship throughout his life. And so he visited the man. He took him. He was in his, home, in his home. And the, the man basically told him, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. I, I'm not a man of faith anymore. So the pastor looked at, at him and said, Is that so? Really? You're not a man of faith? Wow. Well, have you ever been on a plane? Yeah, a couple times. So when you get on a plane, do you, the first thing you do, you go up to the cockpit, you knock on the door, demand to see the pilot because you need to verify that he actually knows how to fly the plane. Show me your flying, what is it called, license or something, you know, that you can fly? You know, do you do that? No, of course not. I trust the airline. I trust the pilot. Oh, oh, oh. So you, you basically tell me you're not a man of faith, but when it, when it comes to flying, then you have faith. Well, what about medicine? Uh, did you had, have you ever had to go to the pharmacy and have a prescription filled? Yeah, many times. Well, do you know that they've, there's been occasions when they've actually uh, filled something wrong and people have died of it? 
Do you just trust them? That they're doing it well? We're all people of faith. We all believe. I mean, this week, um, Thursday was this active shooter thing going on. I'll tell you what happened. This was all staked by the police. Hmm? They just wanted to show us how good they are and that we need them. Basically, it was all, it was all a big show. Do you believe that? You see, you go by the word that you hear. Of course, don't believe me, okay? <laughs> I'm just making up a story. But basically, basically, just to show you, even the things we hear on the news, uh, you cannot verify. Sometimes if you go there, I guess, and really find out, you meet the person, you can verify. But most of us, we cannot verify the things we hear. So we, we, we take them on their word. That's faith. So there's nothing amazing about faith. The question is only who do you put your faith in? That's the question. And for us, of course, we want to put our faith in God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, all right. I guess you may have to move it. It's not moving. Okay. So um, I, I've used this example before in the past. And um, if, if you remember, that's actually a good thing because maybe you'll remember it better uh, in the future. It's a beautiful picture that I like in Scripture when it comes to faith in the Old Testament. Uh, the word faith in the Old Testament is aman, from which we get the word amen. So whenever we say amen, someone prays, a brother or sister prays, you say amen. Basically, you're saying, I believe, I believe, I have faith, like they do. The word literally means to, uh, to confirm or to support. And, and most of the time, it is used simply as this expression, faith or believe. Now, there's a couple occasions when it, where it's translated differently, and, and it's a beautiful picture that I like. And so in, in 2 Kings 18, this, this is Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is attacking the town, the city. Hezekiah goes into the temple and he strips the gold of the temple. So he strips the gold of, uh, um, he stripped the gold of the gold with which he had covered the doors and doorposts. The word there is Amenot, comes from Amen, from Amon, of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. What's the picture behind this? Well, doors really don't exist, except that they're being attached to something, don't they? I mean, who here has a door at home in their living room just standing there? There's no purpose of a door other than it is attached to a frame, and it opens and it closes, basically. That, that is the purpose of a door. Life disattached from faith doesn't make sense. Our life is like a door. You can open it, you can close it. It's up to you. You can reject or you can receive. You can believe or disbelieve. But it's all, it, it is attached to something. The only question is, who do you attach yourself to? And for us, really, the only firm foundation that we have, that we know is secure because it says that Jesus is the foundation. Nothing, no one else can lay another foundation than the one which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ and through his word that we attach ourselves to. That is faith, isn't it? You know, everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. The only question is, who do you have faith in? And in... This is not working this morning, so I guess I need your help. Uh, in Numbers, then, there's another picture behind it. Uh, where it says, this is Moses talking to God. Did I conceive these people? 
Did I give birth to them? He's almost like he's wrestling with God over the people who are asking his, uh, wanting his attention. And then he says, why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse, an omen? As a nurse carries an infant to the promised land you promised on oath to their forefathers. God is, is a nurse. He's a caregiver. He gives care for us. Faith allows you to be held like a nurse who cradles a baby. So is God, are we in God's hand that he holds us? And Moses is saying, I can't do that for them. I can't be that firm foundation. I cannot be that security that they need, that they crave. But you are. See, faith allows us to connect our lives to a purpose, which is the door picture, and it allows us to be held through all the storms of life. And that's a picture of an earth. That's what we have, and that's so precious about faith, so to speak. We all have faith. The only question is, who do we actually put our faith or trust in? In Isaiah, um, uh, this is the story of um, the Israelites had allied themselves with the, the people of, of Aram, which is Syria, against Jerusalem. And so they were marching against Jerusalem. King Ahaz uh, comes to the prophet Isaiah and says, what are we supposed to do? And, then, and, and the Messiah tells him, have faith, have faith in God. And then he tells him, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not have faith, ultimately your, your life will come crumbling down. So these stories connect us with this concept of the firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In the New Testament, the next picture, the New Testament then tells us that faith is an assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you see it, science can prove it. You don't need to have faith. But faith is specifically about what we cannot see, and we all have that. Um, I admire atheists. They have a tremendous faith. They have a tremendous faith. They have a much greater faith than I do because they believe the impossible. They believe that everything came from nothing. There was nothing there, and now there is. How? Well, you just got to have faith, you know, because there's no proof. They believe that matter came from non-matter. They believe that mind came from non-mind. They believe all these kind of things. If you ask me, this is an awesome kind of faith. Now, I believe that there's a creator God who spoke it into being. And it makes sense to me because he's more powerful than I am. He's great. I don't know how he did it exactly, but I, I, I can rest my life on the assurance that he keeps things in order. And I feel secure. We all believe. We all have faith. The only question is who do we have faith in? And so then he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I know you know these verses in Hebrews says, do not have an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And then talks about the Jews. They were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. You stand by faith. We're people who stand by faith. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to these stories. So this is the story. Go to the next picture, please. It's the story of uh, Jairus and the woman. So Jairus comes up to Jesus as he steps off the boat. Uh, he's being crowded by people. They've been waiting for him. Jesus steps off the boat. Uh, and then this man, this man, Jairus, who is a, a, an official of the synagogue, comes up to Jesus because his daughter is dying. Just that she was his only daughter. She's precious to him. 
and she was 12 years old. Now, in Jewish culture, this is just about the time when a woman or a, a boy when they be, or a girl become an adult. 13 years old, you can actually be married at 13 years old. He was waiting for grandchildren, you know? And now his daughter, his only daughter, his only hope even for future babies, you know, she is dying. Can you see the, feel the desperation that this man had? So he comes to Jesus. He begs Jesus, please come with me. So Jesus agrees to go with him. And uh, along the way, um, he's, there's an interruption happening, an intermission or interruption. There's this woman who comes up to Jesus and um, touches him from behind. She had been suffering from a hemorrhage or bleeding for 12 years. Now, I do not claim to understand what she suffered. I, I don't know. I'm not a woman. And I cannot, as a man, we cannot understand what women go through with, uh, with both the monthly bleeding and, and even the, the discharge that she had for 12 years. I do not know uh, what she suffered, but she suffered physically and she suffered financially because Mark tells us that she had gone to every doctor she could find, trying to find healing. Now, I don't know what kind of doctors they were. May have been good doctors. May have been quacks who just prescribed a potion. It's like, drink this, do that, whatever. But she basically, she spent her wealth on doctors. Now she's poor. She has nowhere else to go. She hears about Jesus, and he heals everyone. And then she comes to him. Now there's something else that's going on that you need to understand. That in Jewish culture, go to the next one. In Jewish culture, she was considered unclean. She was considered unclean. Because the law tells us that a woman who has her monthly menstruation for a period of seven days, she is considered unclean, meaning she cannot approach, go to church, go to the synagogue, anything, and anything she touches basically becomes unclean. So if a person touches her, he becomes unclean. He has to actually wash his clothes. If she lies on a bed, if she sits on a chair, that becomes unclean. If you touch the chair, that you become unclean. That's a kind of ritual thing that is going on here, and that is for seven days. Now, but then he goes on and says, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, and for her it's been how long? Twelve years. For twelve years at a time, other than her monthly period, or, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. As long as she has it, she's considered unclean. Uh, any bed, any chair, anything she sits on, unclean, unclean, unclean. Anyone touching her, unclean. Twelve years. I don't know if she was married. Maybe she was married, maybe she had children, but her husband said, I can't live with you anymore. You know? When I touch you, I'm unclean. I can't be with you anymore. Maybe he divorced her. I don't know. Maybe she suffered so much. But I think she suffered beyond all else. She suffered isolation. Because like a leper who were unclean, she was considered unclean as well. I don't know if she lived in a, in, in a house somewhere outside of the village because no one else could be near her. She couldn't be around people. As soon as she was around people, she would touch them. What would happen? They would become unclean. Nobody wanted to be unclean, so they avoided her. That was a, a life, a lonely life, a life of isolation. Can you feel her pain? Now, 
there's something beautiful that this is a beautiful story in a sense. There's something beautiful in her faith and how she approaches Jesus. Notice how she approaches Jesus. And it's the only time we see someone approaching Jesus the way that she is approaching Jesus. Most of the time, it says, basically people came up to Jesus, talking to him, uh, asking him to heal him or to touch him, to, to do whatever. It's the lepers, remember the story of the ten lepers, the blind man. All of them came to Jesus. Matthew tells us actually people begged him to, be, to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. So basically they lined them up along the street. Jesus would walk by, they would try to touch him, and they were healed. But they were facing Jesus. They were always looking at Jesus. Always. Uh, Mark tells us in chapter 3, verse 10, he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward. They were pushing forward to touch him. This is the only incident, the only time where someone approaches Jesus from behind, trying to touch him. Why is she doing that? Because in her mind, what man would want to touch her? She's unclean. She's been unclean for 12 years. Anything she touches becomes unclean. She's taking a risk going out into people, basically, and anyone around her becomes unclean. And so the only hope that she has is not to be noticed, just to go up to Jesus and touch him and then disappear again. That is her hope. What kind of view does she have of herself? I think this, this displays a broken heart displays a humble heart, understanding I am not worthy to even talk to him. I'm not worthy to even look at him, to even gaze at him. All my hope is just to touch him. That's such a, to me, this is such a beautiful expression of faith that is displayed in this woman. Uh, the, the kind of faith that James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Is a humility in her, how she approaches Jesus from behind, because that's all she can do. So she comes up, uh, she touches Jesus from behind, and the moment she touches Jesus, Jesus stops, looks around, says, who touched me? What do you mean, who touched me? Everybody touches you. I mean, really, it says he, there was, he was like a sardine in a thing, in a can. He's being surrounded by people from left and right, back and front and back. But somebody touched me by faith. Most of the time when Jesus, most of the people that Jesus healed were healed when Jesus touched them. There's a few instances like the lepers or or the, uh, the, the officials uh, whose son was ill, when Jesus told them, go home, your, your, your son is, is well, where, where, where he didn't touch, he just spoke, and they trusted the word, or he told the lepers, go show yourself to the, um, to the priest, and so they had to follow his instructions as such. But most of the time, Jesus would touch people, heal them that way. There's something beautiful in that word, touch, to be touched by Jesus, you know. You can't be touched by Jesus. Jesus can still touch us today. And that's where healing can happen when we really seek him and approach him like this woman, you know, with a spirit of humility, with a spirit of, I know I'm unworthy. I know I don't deserve 
His grace. But coming to Him, even from behind, to touch Him, to be touched by Jesus. But the moment that she was touched, He says, uh, go to the next one. Uh, next one, actually. Power went out from Him. Power. So this word power is, um, in the Greek language, is the word dynamis, from which we get the word dynamite. You've probably heard this before. It's the thing that blows things up. You know, it's so strong. It's, it just changes things. That's the kind of power that Jesus had. But then he told his disciples that you will, you will receive power. You will receive the dynamite. You will receive this dynamis uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then Paul says that the gospel, the gospel is the power of God. It says that, that it's that power that changes everything. The gospel, the word of God changes everything onto salvation. First Corinthians, he says, um, the message of the cross, which to those who don't seek it, it's foolish. It's like, what, what's this? You, talk, you guys keep talking about this Jesus guy. You talk about this cross. What for? You know, I know. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God who saves us. First Corinthians 4, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. Do you know you can never argue a person into the kingdom? And try to talk to them, argue with them, but that won't convince them. It's the power of God who's at work. And that's what we need to tap into. And that power is still given even to us today to change lives. And when that power moves, things change. Because dynamite changes something, doesn't it? It blows things up. It can break the chains. It can break the bonds. So G and so she saw healing performed when Jesus touched her, or she touched Jesus, and power was transferred over to her, and she was healed by him. So she's trying to get away from Jesus because, uh, again, she thinks she's unclean. She wants to, uh, as quickly as possible, disappear. Jesus looks around, who touched me, who touched me? And so finally she has to step up and trembling, she comes before Jesus and tells him her, his, her story. And then Jesus says, daughter, daughter, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. He doesn't call her a woman. He calls her a daughter. Because we're daughters of God. We're sons of God. That's how he looks at us. And here's, here's faith that has brought salvation into the life of this woman. Now let's go back to the story of Jairus. Now you need to imagine Jairus. He was there the whole time. So he came up to Jesus. He was first in line, so to speak. And so Jesus is being interrupted by this woman. And it takes time. I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe a little bit more. But so Jesus spends time with this woman, speaks to her. In the meantime, Jairus is probably standing there like, can we, can we keep going? Can we keep going? All right, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I don't know, can you feel it? Like, my daughter's dying, my daughter's dying. I need to get to my daughter. And then it happens. While Jesus is still speaking to her, someone comes up to him and tells him, don't, don't bother the master anymore. She just died. She just died. Can you imagine what must have happened in him at that moment? A world collapsed. A world collapsed because his hope that he had had before was gone. She's dead. She's dead. There's nothing we can do. Dead is dead. You can't change it. Jesus hears and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Only have faith. Only believe. Faith that overcomes fear. 
So faith that saves, but it's also faith that can overcome fear. Now there's three times in Scripture where um, Jesus is healing or uh, raising someone from the dead. Three times. It's the story of the widow whose, uh, whose son was, had died and he was already being buried. And so he touched the coffin and he came back to life. It's this story and it's the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Um, they're somewhat similar in the sense that uh, in both stories, Jesus says they're asleep. So Jesus goes to the house and says, do not lament, do not cry, she's only sleeping. They laugh at him. It's like, no, we know when a person is dead. I mean, <laughs> come on. They haven't breathed for 20 minutes now, half an hour. Now she's dead. I, I know she's dead. Jesus tells, no, she's asleep. And he's not talking about the sleep, normal sleep. He's talking about the sleep of the dead. Because in, in John 11, it's the story of Lazarus. Jesus waited two days until John had died. And then he tells his disciple, let's go. Lazarus is asleep. Oh, good. Good. He's recovering. Oh, no, no. He's dead, actually. So he's not talking about... Physical sleep is talking about the sleep of the dead. So three times Jesus brings people back to life. You know what that proves? That we're eternal. Because he brought the spirit back. He called the spirit back into her. Though she was dead, he brought her back to life. So meaning she continued to live even after death. So in light of this, Jesus is telling Jairus, don't be afraid. Have faith. Now, if we understand the resurrection, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If God ultimately is the God who resurrects all things, if God is the God who brings all things back together, who restores all things, Jesus is looking at us and says, what are you scared of? You have nothing to lose. Our Faith overcomes fear. Now, to someone who has no faith, who does not believe, that's, that must be a scary thought. You mean I'm going to continue to live? What's going to happen to me? Well, hmm, careful. But to us who believe, there's a tremendous faith here to know that God keeps all things um, together. So us to have faith faith in him. So this faith is so great that Psalm 116 verse 15 tells us how precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his holy ones. Precious. To God, it is precious when we die. Why? Because we move from believing to seeing. So in God's eyes, in God's mind, it's a precious thing. So what are you afraid of? Even death cannot conquer our faith. Faith is stronger than death. It can overcome the greatest fears that we have in our lives because we know ultimately our lives are held in His hands. I want to end my, story with my, my message this morning with a story. Um, it's a story of a missionary family who, uh, as a German missionary family, they, had, they were missionaries in uh, Papua New Guinea uh, in the early 1900s. So this is 100 years old or so the story. They had um, uh, several children that were growing up, and so at one point they took him back to Germany to be educated there. So they were, uh, they were involved in a ministry in Papua New Guinea, um, in a tribal group, 
and they were also translating the Bible. In this translation work, they were always struggling to find meaningful words, and one of the words they could not find a meaning for is the word hope. There was no word for hope in the language that they worked in, the, the people group that they worked in. So when they got, uh, went back, actually, his, his, his wife got pregnant again, and, and she gave birth to another son. And when he was one year old, he died of an illness. And as, as, the, as the man was outside preparing for the funeral of his, of his baby son, who was just one year old, and he was making a coffin, he was building a coffin, and he, and he, was, he was crying. He, was, he, was, he was, uh, had sorrow in his heart for the death of his baby. And the, the, the natives, the people saw him, and they came up to him and asked him this question, are you going to leave us now? He said, no, no, we're not going to leave you. Well, what about your uh, other children? Don't you have to take care of them? He said, no, no, they're in God's hands. He will take care of them. And then they looked at him and said, you, you Jesus people, you're different. You can see beyond the horizon. Say, yeah, we can see beyond the horizon. We can see God beyond the horizon. We can see into heaven. And it hit him. What a beautiful word for hope. Hope is seeing beyond the horizon. So that's the phrase they picked then for hope. Hope is seeing beyond the horizon because you understand there's a God. You understand He keeps all things together. I can actually see heaven. I can actually see beyond the horizon. I can see into eternity. And that's faith that can overcome. Faith that can overcome fear. And it's a faith that can save us. What a firm foundation we have in our faith in Jesus Christ. And so these stories communicate to us. Keep up the good work. Let's pray.